Hello everybody and welcome to episode 5 of Talking Talkies. As always, I am Dan and joining me is Chris. And this is going to be Biggie's favorite episode. Oh yes, because it's number 5. Yes, and I love that there's probably a lot of people listening who don't understand wrestling references. Um, guys, this is a big deal for us. This is actually a really big episode because this is our first episode as part of Giant Media Ball. So it's big, just like a giant ball made of media. Without yes, please. Exactly. Um, big shout out to them for bringing us on board. It's kind of cool that the Talking Talkies podcast is part of this on its fifth episode. Which, yes, this is a new podcast, but. Most of you guys listening know Dan and I from either Club Kayfabe or Pie Crust. Club Kayfabe is our wrestling podcast. Our one-year anniversary is actually coming up in May. Two-year anniversary. A two-year anniversary. Oh, my goodness. That's how much time has passed. This is nuts. Um, and Pie Crust is only a few weeks younger. Uh, two weeks younger. Two weeks younger, yeah. So. One and a half, actually, probably, really. <laughs> yeah, because... Uh, we we're uh, end of the week podcast and you're a Tuesday podcast. Yep. Yes. So uh, thank you guys for all of your continued support for Dan and myself and our other shows and this one. And we're gonna keep watching movies and talking about them for you guys, but also for us because you know movies are awesome. That's why we're doing this. So it's Mel Brooksuary. Yes. Welcome to Mel Brooksuary, the the first possibly annual one, although it. Probably won't get that far. I mean, like, the most we can do is, like, three or four years in a row. So. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, so, a lot of you guys have already been suggesting other Mel Brooks movies. I've already seen Spaceballs and Robin Hood Men in Tights coming up, and we're like, yeah, we might do that next Mel Brooksuary. We got a lot of the other stuff to watch. Um, we've already we've already got four Mel Brooks films in line. I did post the calendar on my Facebook page, but for those of you guys who want to keep up, this episode is The Producers, and then we're going to do Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, and History of the World, Part 1, for our Mel Brooksuary. Yay! And we're starting off with Mel Brooks's directorial debut in The Producers from 1967. That's right, we watched the original one, not the remake, although after watching this one, I am not opposed at all to checking out the remake on my own time. Yeah, sometime. Sometime. Sometime soon. So, Dan, why don't you uh, take us through the plot of The Producers? Well, a basic plot of Producers is what you would already know. It's that uh, a, a Broadway producer realizes that you can make more money by producing a flop than you can if it's a hit. Because if you, if you raise more money than you need and then the show is stupid and it doesn't get picked up, you get to keep all that money, quote-unquote. Right. So it's all about crooked Broadway producer who <laughs> reels in his, an accountant to become part of the scheme. An accountant with some serious anxiety issues. He's hysterical. And wet. And hysterical. <laughs> and hysterical. And in pain. <laughs> and wet. Uh, this, of course, so is a... hysterical. This is a Gene Wilder role, and I felt really bad about this, but I didn't know Gene Wilder was still alive until I was doing the research for this movie. Oh, no. This was like his breakout movie. Like, yeah, he was and they didn't even... considering quitting, but then this he had so much fun with this movie and did so well. Yeah. That... 
he kept his career going. In fact, the uh, the fountain scene, which is actually the last scene they shot for this movie, is like a real life explanation of Gene Wilder's feelings towards the film. Like he was just so elated with everything. So that's actually pretty cool. Good for him. Um, I'm really sorry, Gene, if you're listening, which you're probably not, because I don't think we've reached that far. I'm really sorry. I didn't know you were still alive. But uh, hey, but this is a great performance. Wife is dead. Well, I, I knew that. Gilda <laughs> Radner. Which, by the way, yeah. we need to watch Haunted Honeymoon at some point. It was one of my <laughs> uncle's favorite movies. I don't know if it still is. All right. Well, uh, talk to your uncle. Maybe he can officially recommend it. If I ask my uncle, he'll be like, Steel Magnolias and like a whole bunch of other stuff like that. Steel Magnolia. I, I don't think we need to watch that one. It's one of his favorite movies, at least it used to be. Alright, well. <laughs> anyway, um, you have uh, Gene Wilder and Zero. Zero Mostel. Zero Mostel. Such Which an awesome It's actually. It just says Zero. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a pretty awesome gimmick name. <laughs> Except it's not a gimmick name. Or is it? But yeah, um, great great performances by both of these guys. It's Mel Brooks directing, so there's a lot of physical comedy and a lot of very subtle fourth wall breaking nods that are one of my favorite things to put in a movie. Like where he'll Zero will just kind of look at the camera and go, he's hysterical. Like that's the kind of stuff that makes me really laugh. But they're... Uh, to continue the plot here, they are looking for the worst possible play that they can produce. And they find a play written by a German immigrant who lives on the roof of a building with his Boyds, or his... I don't even remember how she pronounces it. Boyds. And how she even calls her... She's not, she doesn't say concierge. Concierge. Concierge, yeah. I'm the concierge. His Boyds, yes. And he... Thank you, madam. I ain't no madam. I'm a concierge. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, this German wrote a play called Springtime for Hitler. That's because no one knows about the soft side of Hitler. Right. It's like, a, what is it like? A, a, a magical romp with Adolf and Eva or something Eva? like that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like a magical romp. Don't you romp. know he was a great singer and dancer? So that's, that's the play they pretty much agree to produce, and they go through this big audition process with their... Uh, yes, they get the worst play, the worst director, the worst actors. Yeah, they get those uh, horribly flamboyant directors. You're probably wondering why I'm wearing a dress. It's actually a costume, but he was just a little too comfortable in that dress, if you ask me. Yeah, you could tell it was like, you know, it was a sign of the times, you know, gay gags. <laughs> yep. Like that. Yep. Uh, oh, there were homosexuals in the 60s? Uh, yeah, <laughs> there were. You know, it's funny, I'll actually talk to people who will look back on a film like this and be like, I can't believe they were making gay jokes back then. Be like, do you think gay is something new? Like, like gay was an invention of the 20th, 20th century? Because it wasn't. But I actually know people who believe that, so uh, good for you guys for being completely ignorant to how the world works. Ignorance is bliss, though. That's what they say. 
But anyway, back to springtime for Hitler. Um, they've got all the dancing Hitlers and all the singing Hitlers. But they end up settling on a uh, an actor who was not there for that role. He was in the wrong theater. He was, but, he was wanting to be in Boomerang. Yeah, he wanted to be in Boomerang. But they took him anyway. And he sang beautifully, and they cast him in the the title role. This the song that him and the chicks play is actually pretty good, even though it was nonsensical. Yeah, you're just like, damn, this is actually a pretty good song. <laughs> it was definitely like a Woodstock era type song. Even though, even though, like none of those instruments they were playing were instruments in the song. <laughs> that just makes it funnier. Because it's like the song is like all drum and bass, yet there's a a, a guitar and a keyboard. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Uh, my fa- my favorite part of all of this is the fact that uh, <laughs> that springtime for Hitler is the main focal point of this movie, and it's a Mel Brooks movie. And Mel Brooks is like the undisputed king of the Jews. Yep. Well, we but, will have more to talk about in the coming weeks. Oh yes. Um, oh Mel yes. Mel Brooks we'll... and and Hitler. <laughs> yes. Yes, we will. But anyway, um, as we move on from this. Uh, springtime for Hitler opens with this beautiful opening number. It's springtime for Hitler. And Germany. <laughs> and everybody in the theater is appalled by this. And they have that great shot people where... People leave. Yeah. People leave. They have that great shot where everybody's just sitting there with their jaws hanging open. But then the, the first act cuts in. And they're like, he's funny. This is funny! And everybody goes back. And the random the random Uncle Lewis cameo while they're at the bar. William Hickey. The late William Hickey. And they're like, oh, this is a surefire flop. And they all show up. They're hiding their faces because they don't want to be discovered. But everybody's having a great time. They got they they're not talking about our play, they're they're talking about a different play, right? Nope. Can you believe that this greatest play I've ever seen has Hitler in it? Oh. Our plays are big, big, big success. The scheme has and gone awry. And they've given away 2,500% of the profits. Yes. As yeah. part of their agreement with the old lady. <laughs> yup. <laughs> so, um, How many percentage can we give of the profits? Only 100%. How many have we given? 2,500. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just want to say that if Springtime for Hitler was a real play, I'd probably go see it and laugh my ass off. because oh, it's a real play inside a real play. <laughs> it is, exactly. Because the producers became a Broadway play and scored an unprecedented 12 Tony Awards while while it was running. That's funny because when he wrote it, he's like, I have a play. And they're like, nah, this isn't a play, this is a movie. And then he makes the movie. And then, like, years later, they're like, you know what? It probably could be a play. <laughs> it's probably be a damn good play. Oh, look at that. It is. I wonder how the how the live thing is. Like, is the, is the audience the audience? <laughs> That's a good question. Like, do you have a part as part of the audience? It's weird. Plus, I imagine, like, all the scenes where they go through Central Park and stuff are not in the play. 
And I bet you those are probably written in later when it became when it was gonna become a movie. Because I'm sure yeah. the play the play is all like Act One in the old office, Act Two in the new office, Act Three at the at the. Uh, yeah, but you can accomplish so much the of that stuff in a, a theater production in in such little way. Like I've seen Mary Poppins on Broadway. I've seen a couple of Broadway shows, but I'm using this one as a specific example because things like Avenue Q and Book of Mormon, as amazing as they were, were specifically written to be simple because they were written to be plays with their settings and everything. But like Mary Poppins was a movie first, and they're just like, this would be a great Broadway adaption, but how do we get around everything? Well, they found a way, and they made it awesome. So, I, I have no doubt that producers found plenty of ways around it. And if any of you that are listening have actually seen the producers on Broadway, let us know in the comments. I know uh, Denzel Lamar is a huge, huge theater guy. So, if he's listening to this episode, which he should be because he said he would be, uh, let us know, dude. Let us know if you've ever seen this, and if you did... How awesome it was. But anyway, to continue on. So, Dan, what happens after their uh, scheme falls through? <laughs> he comes up with all these ideas uh, of how they can still get through with it. Like, uh, what if what if the German guy kills all the actors and the show gets canceled? Well, then they decide they're going to blow up the building instead. <laughs> But he accidentally uses the fast fuse instead of the long fuse, and they end up getting caught in the explosion, and they get busted by the police. <laughs> and the uh, the verdict is such a great line. We find <laughs> the defendants very guilty. <laughs> we find the defendants incredibly guilty. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that like Gene Wilder has like a little bandaid on his head, and the German guy's in a full body cast, still wearing his helmet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and apparently that entire scene where he gives like the big speech was half written by Wilder and half written by Mel Brooks. It's awesome. Did you also catch the uh, the Mel Brooks voice cameo? In yes, it is one of my notes because the apparently the dancer that was supposed to do it wasn't good enough. So he Mel Brooks himself is the one that sings. Don't be stupid. Be a smarty. Come and join the Nazi party. <laughs> Like, I heard that distinct voice, and I did, like, a double take. I'm like, I think that was Mel, but that wasn't actually Mel, right? Yeah, it was a dancer, and apparently he didn't do well enough or whatever, so he dubbed it in, or they couldn't hear him or whatever, you know. Stuff happened. Yeah. So. Tick, tap, 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 tap. Sorry, I was typing. Yeah, so uh, they go to jail, but uh, still, they're still working. Yeah, they're pulling the same scheme, but this one's called, uh, what is it, Love in Prison or whatever it is? Yeah, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but there uh, he is, like, working the chorus line, and then Leo is collecting the money and giving people 50% stakes in the production <laughs> again. Yep, all over again. Uh, lesson not learned, but, um, overall impression of the producers, uh, 
my honest opinion is this. I didn't laugh nearly as hard as I expected to, but I still really liked the movie. Um, the producer parts themselves got a couple of chuckles, but nothing really too, like, laugh-out-loud funny until we got to springtime for Hitler, and I was friggin' rolling at that point. That was when the LOLs became capital and added in an M and an A and dropped an L. But, uh, the producers. Great movie, great directorial debut for Mel Brooks, and it really spawned an awesome... An awesome career, an awesome line of movies, and yes, The Producers is referenced in every single Mel Brooks film, and we'll probably point those out as we watch them. What'd you think, Dan? I felt the same. I felt like, oh, it's his, it's his first movie, so he hasn't really found his, uh, his thing, his whatever his thing was going to be later yet. It was all a big experiment at this point, so... So yeah, like like you said, it's it's funny, but you didn't R O T F L O L. Yeah, I laughed. I laughed quite a bit, but I didn't laugh as much as I thought I was gonna laugh. However, like watching the movie now, I definitely think a play version of this would have me rolling in the floor. I think a play version would have me dying. So rafflecopters. Maybe I will do a rafflecopter. You don't know. Is there enough room? <laughs> but, uh, can you tell us some interesting facts about the producers, Dan? Uh, let's start with the most depressing fact. It costs uh, a little less than a million to make to date. It's made just more than 10% of it back. <laughs> So, Damn. yikes. <laughs> Damn. As far as the movie goes. Uh, Academy, Academy Awards. Gene Wilder was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, did not win. But Mel Brooks did win Best Original Screenplay. And he was so sure he wasn't going to get it that he didn't write a speech. So he had to come up with it off the cuff. <laughs> yeah, good for him, though. Uh, the film wasn't, uh, wasn't going to be released. They were like, nope, we're not going to release it. But Peter Sellers had a uh, had a uh, screener for his friends at, at his house, and they loved it so much that he lobbied for its release. And they decided to release it as long as they renamed it. So it was originally going to be called Springtime for Hitler, but it got renamed The Producers. <laughs> well, to be fair, a film called Springtime for Hitler probably would have caused pro more problems, but at the same time, it probably would have attracted a lot more people, because people would have been like, I don't know what the hell is going on, but I kind of need to see this. And of course, this all started as, as a joke in an interview Mel Brooks did with Playboy. Like, what are you working on now? And he's like, uh, Springtime for Hitler. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, ironically, that is what he worked on. Was it, and, and what, like what he said later with things that like later be, later became quotes in the movie, he was a very excellent dancer. No one knows this. <laughs> uh, one one thing I really got a kick out of, as far as like the stats were concerned, was that the movie got banned in Germany because of its title and all the other stuff involved with it. But then they finally agreed to show it at a film festival, provided that um, 
there were like <laughs> Jewish Jewish made films as part of the film festival. Special Jewish showcase at the. Yes, place. a Jewish showcase. Uh, you can show it then. We got to get all the Jews in one place at one time for this. <laughs> um, Mel Brooks is actually it, unable to read music, so he hummed yes. both "Springtime for Hitler" and "Prisoners of Love," and then an expert actually transcribed them into sheet music. They also, to get Gene Wilder to do the hysterical scene, they loaded him up with co coffee and chocolate. <laughs> Just ha and he nailed it in two takes. Nailed it. And what? And what? <laughs> hysterical. And pain. Uh, and I love he's got his little blue blanket he's had since he was a kid. Yep. And then there's the scene where they're both getting stressed, so he plays <laughs> Bialy grabs it too. <laughs> um, the uh, the Swedish, the Swedish like receptionist or whatever she was supposed to be. The line she keeps repeating in Swedish is "Good day to you." <laughs> like, like get to work, so she dances. Yeah. And uh, the original choice for a Broadway comedy titled Springtime for Hitler as a star was supposed to be Paul Anka. So, yeah. just a couple of fun yeah, a couple of fun facts about the producers. Oh, I, 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 another fact I saw that was interesting that I didn't, but I didn't write it down was that Dustin Hoffman was was like getting ready to do uh, oh, yeah, yeah. this movie, and uh, he had to go to read for the graduate. And Mel Brooks was like, oh, my wife's in that. And so he knew that the character he was reading for wasn't right for him as the, as the movie was written. So he was like, yeah, sure, go and try out for that. You'll be back. And then they rewrote the, <laughs> they rewrote the movie for him to be the star uh, of The Graduate. Yep. I was just like, oh, well, uh, how'd that work out for you? Actually, pretty well, thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, and... Uh, yeah, they, they called it the producers because they passed on Springtime for Hitler, but they would have been okay with Springtime for Mussolini. Because, <laughs> you know, that's so much better. Actually, I guess it is, really. I mean, <laughs> I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I guess it is, but it's really not. So, uh, it's still not good, but it might be a bit better. Springtime for Pol Pot. Springtime for Kim Jong Un. Uh, we've been shut down. <laughs> Aww. Well, thankfully this film was not shut down. Great debut for Mel Brooks. Uh, producers, good film. We've already given our points. I think the Springtime for Hitler stuff was absolutely hilarious and definitely made the movie. Lots of really fun quotes came out of this, as do pretty much all the Mel Brooks films, and. I'm sure we'll have a wonderful quote-a-thon when we continue on our Mel Brooksuary journey. This was just the beginning. This was part one of a four-part journey. Now, we've talked about the schedule already, but for those of you guys who want to watch along with us, next week, Blazing Saddles. <clears throat> Which I have not seen since I was, like, 10 or 11 or something. 
<laughs> um, one of my like really really big need to watch all the movie kicks. It was like 2010, 2011 or so. I kind of had my own little like Mel Brooks movie thon where I was like, I'm gonna watch a whole bunch of Mel Brooks films, and Blazing Saddles was one of the first ones that I watched. I've seen it before. But I hadn't seen it for a really long time. Plus, like, I'd seen clips of it when it's on TV and it's censored and it's lame. So I'm like, I just sit down and watch this. And I laughed hysterically. So I'm really looking forward to just relaxing and watching some Blazing Saddles next week. But you'll all be watching with us. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, you will. Um, after that, we already said we've got two more Brooks movies in line. And then we're doing... March is sort of becoming... Uh, fan submission month at this point. Um, Antonio Figueroa submitted the Back to the Future trilogy. No, not just one film. All the films! This is going to be our first trilogy adventure where we're actually going to watch a whole series of movies, and I've been kind of thinking about how I want to approach that for the future. Um, if you guys want to submit something like that where you want us to do a series, you can submit it. Uh, depending on the movies, we'll probably spread them out like a trilogy, I don't mind doing, unless it's Lord of the Rings, in which case I'm spreading those out. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to watch those all in one week. Yeah, even like the regular editions time to about <laughs> 10 hours. <laughs> yeah, really. So, um, something like the Star Wars movies, which we will probably do right before Episode 7 comes out, so probably well, closer to I'm December. Watching, so. <laughs> yep. Um, those, what I would do is I'd probably do the original trilogy as, like, one one week's worth of watching, and then the prequels as another week's worth. Um, something like the Indiana Jones series, that could be a whole month because there's four of them. And I think we may have that tentatively scheduled for a future month. It is a plan. It is a plan, yes. So when you guys are thinking of stuff like that, film series, if you want us to watch a whole series, um, you can let us know. But we may split them up, and we may not. Back to the Future, we decided we're going to tackle as one project. And then we've also been given Donnie Darko as a submission film, which is cool because I actually haven't watched that in a couple of years, despite owning it on DVD. I know you and said I you watched, watched it a couple months ago. <laughs> yes. So it's fresh in your head. It's not very fresh in mine, so that'll be cool to sit down and rewatch. Um, I'm sure I understand a lot more in a second viewing, though. It's it's a movie you probably do need to see twice. So You really do. Oh, was that your first time watching it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you definitely pick up more the second time you watch it, and you'll, you'll pick up immediately when you start watching it again because you start seeing all the subtle hints towards what's going to happen. Again, this, you know, brilliant film writing. So, yes, yeah, so another six weeks and we do that movie. <laughs> exactly. Um, we got a f submission for Treevenge from John Salinas. Uh, John, I'm going to tell you right now, we are going to turn down that submission because we're kind of looking to do good movies, you know. And also, it's not a full-length movie. So, no, we're not going to waste an episode on... We're not going to waste an episode on your little tr tree revenge story that's not even a f full length movie. So, no. That's another thing. If you guys want to submit shorts and stuff like that, um, we may possibly review them, but they're probably going to get tied into something else. Because unless it's like something really, really dramatic and good, I don't think we're going to waste a whole episode on like 
Unless you we know, stack a bunch of them up. Yeah, on like your 20-minute grad film. But hey, I got some friends that have done some grad films that are really friggin' good. And they are available online, so maybe, maybe in the future. But yeah, that's the plan for the Talkin' Talkies. And yes, we're now part of Giant Media Ball. You guys need to check them out on the Facebooks or go to their website, giantmediaball.com. Check out Club Cafe Podcast. That's Dan and I, along with Pat McDermott, talking about wrestling. If you guys are pro wrestling fans, and I know some of you are, because that's how you're connected to us in the first place. And, of course, every Tuesday you can check out The Pie Crust. That's Dan's show with Mike Irizarry. And they talk about everything nerd culture, comic books, movies, TV shows, video games, what have you. If it's nerd culture, they're going to talk about it. So those are shows you guys should be watching. Thank you to Giant Media Ball for having us. And uh, any final words from you, Dan? Uh, just again, Blazing Saddles next week. Woohoo! Yes, Blazing Saddles. A lot of uh, unnecessary censorship coming. But so damn funny. Alright, then we will see you next week for Blazing Saddles. Yes, bye!